Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to have the passage on the screen as well. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. We are looking at the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, I thought, wouldn't it be cool for us to see that power, that, that power of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? We think often of the uh, power of the Spirit, the workings of the Spirit more directly, and certainly there are more passages in the New Testament, but there are some powerful passages, and this is one of the most powerful passages in the Old Testament. Let me give you a little background, just a brief overview of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet. He lived in Jerusalem. At about the age of 30, Babylon came in and conquered Jerusalem. They spared the city. They left many Jews in the city, but they took a wave of exiles with them. And Ezekiel was one of those that was relocated out of Jerusalem into Babylon. And so Ezekiel's there in Babylon, and God calls him as a prophet, and he calls him to confront Israel specifically with their persistent rebellion and idolatry. Chapter 2, verse 3, God says this to Ezekiel, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. <clears throat> so a, a large part of Ezekiel's message is to Israel, calling them to account for their sin, for their rebellion, for their idolatry. And um, at this point in time, Israel has actually broken into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the Bible says that their hearts were hard like stone. So Ezekiel keeps warning them that judgment is going to continue to come to them, but their hearts are so hard, they listen to Ezekiel, and then they, they just walk away and forget everything he said. And so finally, God says through Ezekiel, it's done. I'm determined to judge you. In fact, he says, your case is so crying out for judgment that if Noah and Daniel and Job were to stand in front of me as righteous men and plead your case, their righteousness could only save themselves, not you. Judgment is coming. And so things look hopeless. There is a word of hope in Ezekiel chapter 11, where in the midst of all this darkness, God says, I will give you a new heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. So he, God gives little glimmers of hope, but then everything starts to get darker and darker. In chapter 33, a refugee from Jerusalem barely makes it to Ezekiel, and he lets him know that Jerusalem has been completely conquered and the temple has been destroyed and those that were left alive were taken into captivity. Israel is no more. The temple is no more. Everything that indicated God's blessing, his care, their identity is no more. And that's where we are when we come to Ezekiel chapter 37. Let's read verses 1 through 14 together. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. 
And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Lord, we ask you to bless this reading of your word to our hearts this morning. Ezekiel sees a vision of spiritual death, but also of resurrection hope. In Ezekiel's vision, God brings him to this valley of bones, nothing but dry bones as far as he can see. And God walks him around, so he's walking around, and everywhere he looks, he sees dry, dead bones. This is death. This is literally Death Valley. And this isn't recent death. This is old death. This is dead death. Because these bones have been picked clean of any flesh, any muscle, anything that would remind them there was once life there. These bones sit there, sun-bleached, brittle, very dry, Ezekiel says. And God says, this is a picture of the whole house of Israel. You want a picture of how Israel is, this is it. This has been their spiritual state for quite some time. They have been dead spiritually because they have walked away from God and rebelled against Him, and they have worshipped false gods but their physical state has finally caught up to their spiritual state. It always will, by the way. It always will. 
our physical state will always mirror our spiritual state. Their physical state has caught up. So they are now in a place where they say our hope is cut off. We have no hope. Hope is lost. We are dead. Now, I honestly don't know that anyone in this room or anyone watching this message has ever actually experienced utter hopelessness. I mean, we've all experienced discouraging times. We've all experienced times where hope was at a low ebb, and we felt hopeless about something. But I don't know that any of us have ever experienced the kind of utter, utter hopelessness that Israel is experiencing at this time. I think that's one of the things that would hit me in the last month or two when we watched everything happen in Afghanistan was that um, thinking of, of being in the place they're in, and I just recently, within the last week or two, heard of an Afghani that was a U.S. ally, ally that was taken uh, and beheaded in front of his family. And so you think about that family, their country is gone, Everything that they enjoyed about their country is now gone. They, they have no immediate hope that someone's going to rescue them. And they have burned in their memory the execution of a beloved husband and father. There, there is nothing like, I hope this, I hope that, have. utter, utter, I can imagine, utter hopelessness for their entire state of life. That's where Israel was. They're in a foreign land. They don't know anything. All the roots have been uprooted. All the history of God's blessing upon them as a nation and their identity as a people uprooted, torn apart. The evidence of God's love and presence, the temple has been destroyed. And they now live among a people, a foreign people, their hearts have been picked as clean of hope as these bones have been picked clean of flesh. And, and so that's what Ezekiel's looking at. He's looking at all this, this death and dry bones, and, and then suddenly God asks him, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Can there be life where there is no life? Can there be hope where there is no hope? And I would imagine that Ezekiel, his first impulse is probably to say, no, God, there is nothing. These bones are, are well past hope and life. But Ezekiel wisely says, oh, God, you know. Because he knows he's talking to the God of hope. And so God tells Ezekiel to speak the word of the Lord over these bones. When God speaks, even dry bones hear his voice. And Ezekiel speaks this word. They are far beyond any natural hope. But God is not speaking to them a natural hope. He is speaking to them a supernatural hope. There's no doctor that could resuscitate these bones. But God is not about resuscitating. He's about resurrecting. Speak, Ezekiel. Speak over these bones a word of resurrection hope. And so that's what Ezekiel does. He begins to prophesy before he sees any evidence of God doing this. He begins to speak it. 
And as he speaks the word of the Lord to these bones, he begins to hear a rattling as bone comes to bone. These, they begin to shape into people going back together. And he watches all this. And what once was dry bones, now there begins to uh, form sinew and muscle attaching to these bones. And then skin begins to cover these bones. What once was just a valley of dry bones is now actually a valley of, of humans, but they're not alive. There is no life in them. God says, there is still no life in these people. I want to pause there for a moment. I want, to, I want to just have us think a little bit about what is life? What is life? I mean, we're so used to it. I've been alive all my life. I mean, we're just used to being alive. We don't question it, but what is life? Why are you you? Why are you you? And there's probably some family and friends who have been asking the same question, but I just mean this like on a deeper existential basis. Why are you you? Why don't we just go floating around like I'm me one day and someone else another day? Or, you know, uh, why are you you? Why am I me? What, what is life? They cannot produce life in a laboratory. Not, not out of nothing. You can't, you can't put all the, it's not mechanical. It's not like if you have all the right parts in all the right places, then there's life automatically. Doctors can do amazing things to resuscitate a life when it's on the edge. Sometimes even they're able to watch a life return after having lost for a few minutes that life. But I don't care how good a human body's condition is in, a doctor can't put life back in. You don't have this like, uh, you know, nurse, hook up the life generator, please. There, there's nothing that puts life back in to a human being. What is life? Well, the Bible tells us what life is. Ezekiel tells us, he reminds us, it is the breath. It is the breath. He speaks and prophesies, breath come from the four winds and breathe into these people that they might live again. Do you remember when Adam, God formed Adam, he's perfect, he's made out of, you know, dust and clay and everything, and he's there, but he wasn't alive until God did what? He breathed into Adam. It's the breath of God. And we've been living on the breath of God. That's what entered life into our being that's what keeps us alive. It is the breath, the ruach. It's a Hebrew word. The pneuma is the Greek word. The spirit of God. And so all these perfectly formed bodies are lying in the valley. There is no life in them. So God says, prophesy to the breath and call upon the breath that it may fill them from the four corners and these corpses will become alive. And Ezekiel did that. They stood up and they became an exceedingly great army. I want to ask the question, what does this vision mean? Well, I think this vision has uh, many rich applications and meaning to us. 
Spurgeon said, as so often in Scripture, it, you can't exhaust it with just one, one layer of meaning. But the first meaning is the one the original readers would have understood, and that is, this is a word of resurrection hope for Israel, that God would give them a future. He has not abandoned them. He has judged them because they needed to be judged. They are dead. They are hopeless. The death is real. The graves are real. But God is going to rob the grave. We sang it earlier. God is going to rob the grave of the dead. He will not abandon them to death. He will raise them from the dead. God will put his spirit in them, bring them back to the land, and they will know that he alone is the Lord God. I believe we saw a great part of that fulfillment in Acts chapter 2 when we read that last week. Israel had been brought back to the land. They rebuilt the temple. The bones formed, the muscles formed, and when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, the early church was all Jewish, and an army was formed. But there are other, I think, applications that speak to us this, this this is, I think, the burden we want to take from this is we need the Holy Spirit to breathe resurrection life into hopeless, lifeless situations. We need the Holy Spirit. Another wonderful spiritual reference that Bible scholars see in this is the day when the trumpet sounds and graves will be opened up and the dead in Christ will rise. What a wonderful hope that is. What a wonderful hope. You see, resurrection, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. But resurrection has, is not just for Jesus. It's not just he rose again. But his resurrection is our resurrection. He died that we might live. We will one day die physically. But actually, we don't die, Jesus says, if we believe in him. Because we will be raised again the Christian's hope is wonderfully that death is not the end. It's not the final word. God will not abandon us to the grave. He will, the graves will open up. And all those who trusted in Christ will rise again, resurrected in glorified bodies. And I can totally understand someone saying, that is impossible. That is impossible. First of all, the older graves, there actually are no bodies in them. There's not even dry bones. After hundreds of years, unless there's been some kind of heroic efforts, there's nothing left. There are countless of millions, maybe billions of, of bodies that do not exist anymore. How can God raise them up from the dead? We're not even talking God having some dry bones to work with. They've completely decomposed. Or think of those that have been burned in, in fire or those who are cremated and, the, and their remains have been sprinkled to the wind or to the ocean waves. And there's nothing left for God to assemble. It's impossible. And, and I totally agree with you. It is impossible. But here's the thing. Impossible is what God does best. It's what he does best. With man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So on resurrection day, when Jesus Christ returns, the power of the Spirit will assemble 
even if there's nothing there to assemble, the dry, the dead bones, the rotting corpses, or the nothing will be assembled together in glorified bodies, and the Spirit of God will breathe upon, and they shall live again forever. So that is a beautiful, powerful uh, reminder of that day. If you're trusting in Christ, that is your future. That is your future. And nothing can stop that. So even if everything goes really bad in this life, you have that to look forward to. That one day you will hear the trumpet sound of God break the sky, and all of a sudden you will go from not being alive to, whoa, I'm alive, and I'm glorified, and I'm in the presence of the Lord, and death ain't a thing anymore. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? That is our hope as Christians. But this vision also speaks a a brilliant word of resurrection hope to us and a reminder that we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church. Um, And when I say the church, I mean the church, not just Grace Community Church, not just this church or that church, but the universal church. There is only one church on earth. You know that. There's only one church. There are many different forms, many different local, but there's only one church. It is the church of Jesus Christ. And that church, every true believer on earth is a member of that church. And that church needs the Holy Spirit to breathe life into it. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no life in our Christian life or in the church. Now, don't get nervous there, because the Bible says if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And if a church is believing in Christ, the Holy Spirit is active and working there. Now, what we have here in this picture, I think is a, uh, there's a, a symbolic picture here. The bones came together, but there was no life. If you will allow me a little bit of metaphoric license, I see in the church the bones, I think could be applied as the the Bible teaching, the doctrine of the church, the tenets of our faith. It is what gives solidity to our faith. We need it. We need the bones. They are what gives us the strength to stand. Just like our bodies need bones. If we didn't have bones, we would just be sacks of flesh and blood lying on the ground. It's a gory sight. We'd be like jellyfish on land. We, life would be, we couldn't live without bones. Bones give us our strength, our ability to stand, do things, be active, be healthy. The church needs the bones. We need the bones of solid, sound, biblical truth, orthodox faith, tenets of what we believe, drawn from Scripture. We need that. We need that. Without that, the church, a a church will become mushy. It will not know what it believes. It will not know why it believes. It, it, It may be relying upon emotion. It may be relying upon the Holy Spirit. But without the bones of teaching, it's going to be a mess and it's going to be a mush. It's just we need the teaching of 
the Word of God. That's our infrastructure, sound biblical teaching. So when Paul says the day is going to come when people will not endure sound doctrine, what that means is the day is going to come where people may love the church, may love to gather, may love all the fringe, but they don't want to hear the truth. That's where Ezekiel, that's where Israel was. They love to hear him. In fact, Ezekiel 33 says they love to come and listen to him like a singer playing love songs in the middle of the night. They would come and say, oh, what? The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And then they would leave and they would forget it all. We need the truth. But infrastructure, the truth, and hear me carefully, the Bible does not bring life into the church. It does not bring life into a believer. It is a vehicle through which God will and must work. The word of God has to be there. But the Bible by itself does not breathe life into the church. If we have all the bones, but no breath, that church is dead. The Pharisees had the bones. They knew the Bible better than all of us put together. They had all the bones. They had no life. Only the Spirit breathes life. Now, Ezekiel saw skin and muscle and sinews being attached. And I look at that, again, metaphorical license, as the forms that churches take. Churches take different forms. We look different than the church down the road, which looks different than that other church down the road. The first church, so the form is kind of how we steward the life. What we do, where, where we meet, all those kind of practical things that can look different. The first church met in homes. Today, most churches, at least in this country, meet in buildings. <clears throat> Those are just forms. Those are just the forms they took. Some churches sing from hymnals. Open your hymnal to hymn number 122. Others use projection screens. Some churches use organs. I grew up in a Baptist church. You had an organ on one side and a piano on the other, and, and, it, and you'd sing from hymnals. Other churches don't use organs. They have guitars and drums and keyboards. <clears throat> Some pastors will get up in a three-piece suit and preach a sermon. Other pastors get up with ripped and torn jeans and a T-shirt on that says something. I'm in the middle. Those are just forms. They're just forms. Why don't you say just? <clears throat> They're important. They steward what we do. You know, we need to have some form. You can't, you know, somebody tells me, my church, we have no form. We have nothing, no liturgy at all. I'm like, I'll come three weeks and I'll tell you, you have a form. It may be chaotic. It may be disorganized, it may be unhelpful, but you have a form. It may be wonderful, but you have a form that you will eventually, we just, we just need that. <clears throat> but the form doesn't produce life. These forms were still lifeless. God said, can these bones live? And God brought together the bones, and he brought together the muscle and the skin, but that didn't make it alive. It took the Spirit of God to breathe into them. The church needs the bones of sound doctrine. It needs the form of whatever its liturgy, whatever its tradition is. 
But those things, we need the Holy Spirit to breathe life into the church. And we need the Holy Spirit to breathe life into our spiritual lives. It is every spiritual thing that the God has called the church to accomplish can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit. I, I want us to get that. And this isn't like some, oh, that's what hyper-charismatic churches teach. No, this is what Scripture teaches. Everything the church does, it must do by the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked last week about the importance of leading people to Christ. You cannot save anyone. I can't save anyone. And you know what else can't save anyone apart from the Holy Spirit? The gospel. There are tons of people who know the gospel. There are people who can tell the gospel backwards and forwards better than you and I. <clears throat> Jesus didn't say you need information to enter the kingdom of God. He says you need to be born again by the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. It is the Holy Spirit that takes the dead in, in sin and makes us alive to God. It is the breath of the Holy Spirit that speaks into a heart and suddenly Faith comes alive, and we see the glory and wonder of Jesus, and we believe he died for me. And our hearts are made new, and our spirit is made alive. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Just as God said, I will give the Israelites, I will put my spirit in them and give them a new heart, a heart of flesh in place of a heart of stone. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. It's the Holy Spirit that illuminates our minds. So when we sit down with the Bible, you know, this is so important. We see the heart of God in the Word of God. It is, it is possible to read the Word of God and miss the heart of God. Again, the Pharisees are prime examples. They, they knew the Word of God. They read the Word of God. They did not hear the heart of God in it. It takes the Holy Spirit to illuminate us, to see His heart in it. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to experience resurrection power in our daily lives. Our lives are to be, and I'm, this is a whole nother, this could be a whole nother series of messages, but our lives are to be a series of dying in Christ and then being ra raised again. The fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to live this thing we call the Christian life. It is the Holy Spirit when we have a down day. And by, 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 by all means, we have down days. We have struggles. We have crisis of faith. We have hardships. We have heartaches. We have sadness. We have trials. We fail. We fall. We stumble. Those are all part of the Christian life. But in them, the Holy Spirit works and he forgives and he, he lifts us up and he gives us new hope. He gives us new, new desires for God. He gives us new strength. The Holy Spirit is constantly raising us up. It is the Holy Spirit who witnesses to our spirit that we are children of God, crying out, Abba, Father, within us. So we need the good bones of sound doctrine. We want a healthy form to steward God's work. But we also need, we are reminded from this passage that we need the breath of the Holy Spirit to blow in our midst. So I want to encourage us this morning that we would call upon God, that we would heat up our prayers and pray that God would blow his 
the Spirit of God through our midst, blowing new life, <clears throat> new resurrection life. And you know how I see that? I've, I've tried to say again and again, anchoring that the Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus Christ. So again, if, if when you hear that, you think shaking or other kind of physical things, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't cause, I don't, that's not, like, I don't want, you know, oh, that's the church that went down in history as shaking. I, okay, is that it? What did that do? I see the ministry that people come to know Jesus and love him. That people chained, believers who are chained or oppressed by sin are set free. That those who struggle with discouragement and hopelessness find new hope and new encouragement in Christ. That we, our dull hearts, and my heart's dull, my mind's dull, that can be so dull to the beauties and the glory and the excellencies of who God is, become alive to all that. And fading alive to all the empty, temporal trinkets of the world. That's what I see. That we would love one another, and we would love those we don't even know and share Jesus with them. Those are the, the workings of the Holy Spirit, that when we go through dark waters and deep valleys, we go through with hope. We go through with strength. We go through with a joy, even as tears fall. That is the working of the Holy Spirit in our midst, that we forgive when someone hurts us. So let's call upon God and ask him to do that in our midst. Will you pray with me for that, for God to do that work? Because <clears throat> only God can do that work. Only God can do that work. Let's call upon the Lord to do that work. <clears throat> As we close this morning, I'm going to ask the band to come up because we're going to close with a time of worship. But I also want to share one more application that brings it a little more personal. And that is, there are times in our lives where we, we do struggle with a hopelessness. We, we, a situation may be in front of us that we just don't know how, how to answer that situation. We don't know where to go. You guys can come on up. Thank you. Um, we don't know where to go with that. We don't see a way out. And maybe you're in a place like that. Maybe you have a situation, whatever it might be, that's, that's in front of your, your heart, but you just don't see how God can answer it. I was thinking back, and I don't have time to go into the stories, but I, I am thinking of times where Janice and I had like no hope in a situation, no way forward, and God made a way forward. I can think of several times sitting with friends where they had no hope in a situation. They had no way forward, and we prayed with them, and others prayed with them, and God made a way forward for them. I've seen hopeless situations. I've seen God inject hope. I've seen brick walls turn into pathways where God has made a way. I don't want to predict what that looks like for anybody because God is, works in many different ways, but I have seen him work in that way. So if you're in a place of hopelessness, or maybe not hopelessness, but there's a situation in front of you, it might be a loved one that you love so much, but you just don't, they seem so far from Jesus that you don't know how they could ever come back to trust him or ever trust in him. Or maybe it's your finances and you just say, I, I don't know how provision's going to come. 
Or maybe your marriage or your relationship with your kids is like, this is just not, I don't, I don't have hope in this. Whatever the situation might be. Amen. I pray specifically for anyone who's at that place where they just see a wall, they see no way forward. I pray that, God, you will breathe fresh hope into them. Lord, even as Ezekiel spoke before he saw evidence, I pray that they will speak hope before they see the evidence of that hope. I pray that they will have faith rise in their heart before they see a single prayer answered. Because, God, you are the God of hope. You never abandon us in a place of hopelessness. Ever. And, Lord, to come full circle. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit dwells within us because we have trusted in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who paid it all that we might have new life and that he may give us the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we want to be about your business, Lord, and we want to walk in the grace and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we leave here, Lord, we're not leaving church, we are the church. We're not leaving worship, we're to worship you every day, every act Everything we do is to be an act of worship to you, Lord. So we ask for your power and presence to go with us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.